We'll start reading with verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to, be, to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things in Krim who strengthens me. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. I remember a number of years ago, I was part of a men's uh, prayer breakfast that I used to joke around a lot to say it was often more breakfast than prayer. Uh, but we would get together every Thursday morning at 6 a.m. Uh, and we would have a time of reading scripture. Each, each one of the men, and there's usually about seven or eight of us, each one of us would bring a scripture Each one of us would make a couple of comments on the scripture, and then we'd go around and pray, uh, do a circle prayer where each person would take, in turn, take time to pray. And then after that, we'd adjourn to the local Greasy Spoon Diner, as we called them, to have what still counts as some of the worst coffee that I've ever had in my entire life. Uh, That coffee would live with me for a couple of days, at least the caffeine would, uh, but I kept drinking it no matter what. Uh, It was a great time. Uh, and, uh, and I was surrounded in this group by quite a number of godly men. And I remember one of them was named Albert. And Albert was a Lutheran. I was Presbyterian at the time, but Albert was a Lutheran. And it seemed about every six months or so, he would read a scripture about, uh, you know, you, you can't, you brought nothing in this world. You, you can take nothing with you. You know, some kind of scripture like that. And then he, he had this encouragement, uh, and I'll never forget it. He'll say, how much is enough? Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. How much is enough? And, uh, and obviously the, the encouragement there was, you know, to say, we, we need to say enough is enough. We need to accept what we have and everything, not being looking for a little bit more. But I remember one Thursday, I couldn't stand it much longer. Not, not that it annoyed me. It didn't annoy me at all. It was greatly encouraging. But I, I said, Albert, I don't know about you, but for me, enough is a lot more. <laughs> a lot more. Uh, and it really raised the question of how much is enough? Are you satisfied with what you have? Are you content? Are you feeling that you have sufficiency in your life? What do you need to have sufficiency? What do you need to have enough? These are questions that we really need to reflect on on a continual basis because if we're honest, most of the time, many of us might answer that question, how much is enough? In the same way that I did. A lot more than what I have. A lot more than what's there now. That's enough. And if we are really honest with ourselves, a lot of times we don't feel like we have sufficiency in our lives. We aren't really content. Uh, And if we think we're content, then ask yourself this question. Does the pattern of your life show that you're content? Does the pattern of your life show that you feel like you have sufficiency? 
Or are you always going after more? And even going to the point where you're going into big debt in order to have more. In the world, we see two extremes. And it's very interesting that people in both of these extremes never seem to feel like they have enough. Never seem to be content. Never feel like they have sufficiency. On the one hand, we have people who are in desperate want. Uh, And we tend sometimes in our country to divine poverty in a way that in most other countries of the world would make us in the top 10% of the, the wealthiest people. And we think that we have deep, deep want, deep, deep need in our lives when sometimes we don't really have that. But... If you have that, if you don't have enough for food, if you don't have enough for clothes, if you don't have a place to live, you know, that can be very destroying for your life. And certainly you won't be content. But ironically, we also see at the other end of the spectrum that many, if not most people, who are in the top 5-10% of the wealthiest people in the world, most of them are not content either. They're wanting more. They're going after more. They're not they don't have a sense of sufficiency in their lives. So the question comes then for us is, how do we get to that place where we do feel like we have enough? How do we come to that point in our life where we are content? And in this passage, by the way, that we read, the word content and the word sufficiency are almost identical. It's almost interchangeable. So the idea of contentment is the idea that I have sufficiency. If I'm content, I have sufficiency. How do we get to that place? What determines sufficiency? What determines that contentment? Is it something that we need to have a bigger house for, a better car for, a bigger bank account, a better job, a different relationship, uh, uh, meaning romantic relationship in our lives, a uh, different partner? It, you know, it, it, does it come around to that? Is there there's some kind of external measure of this? What is contentment? How do we have it? How do we live with it? How do we keep it? And Paul here, in this passage that we read, he's actually looking at two things. Normally, we look at this passage and we say, oh, yeah, you know, uh, we get down to the bottom. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, that's, that's really great. And a lot of times we, we quote that verse very triumphalistically. Oh, yeah, I can be the prime minister because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yes, if I was the head of the NHS, I would run the NHS better than anybody else does because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yes, if I was the pastor, I'd preach better sermons because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, uh, and on and on and on. But actually, that's not how Paul means that verse. But Paul is pointing actually to two things in this passage that are essential for us to have contentment, that are essential for us to have a sense of sufficiency in our lives. And if we miss one of these two things, we will not have a sense of sufficiency or contentment. We need both of these things. The first thing, and the thing that we often miss in this passage In order to have contentment, in order to have a sense of sufficiency, 
we need to have friends in Christ. Friends in Christ. Uh, And the emphasis here is in Christ. Uh, When Paul, he starts out this line, he starts out this passage and he says, you know, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. That word for revive is like a a plant that reblossoms. You know, so that your concern for me has reblossomed. Uh, you were concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. A part of this is Paul had received a significant financial gift from the Philippians because he was in prison. Now, you might realize that if you were in prison back in Paul's day, the only way you got food is if somebody brought the food to you. The only way you had money or any kind of resources is if somebody provided for you from outside the prison or you had enough money of your own that you could pay for that yourself. It's not like today where you go to prison and you get three square meals and a, and a, and a place to stay and comforts and conveniences. You didn't have that in Paul's day. And so the Philippians, they knew that he was in prison, uh, maybe even under house arrest at this point, definitely in prison. They sent him, they sent him this gift. And part of the reason that Paul wrote the, the letter to the Philippians was to thank them for the gift. Uh, and so, you know, this idea of concern that they have revived, apparently they had supported him in the past and, and now they were supporting him again. But what we miss uh, in the English in this passage is that the language that Paul is using in the Greek is all the language of friendship. And Paul is extolling their friendship, not just praising them for the gift that they've given. And you see that by the way that Paul says, I I rejoice greatly that you revived your concern for me. Uh, And he thinks, oh, okay, well, don't take this the wrong way. Because I know that you've always been concerned for me, but you just didn't have an opportunity. And, you know, don't take this the wrong way. I'm not saying this because you gave me money. Because I'm not saying this out of a point of need. You pick up on this. I'm not saying this out of a point of need. I'm not saying this because you gave me money. I'm saying this Because in Christ Jesus, you are my friends, and I am rejoicing in your friendship. And this theme is echoed repeatedly throughout the entire letter of 1 Corinthians. We've seen, uh, not 1 Corinthians, excuse me, Philippians. We've seen that as we've gone through Philippians, uh, section by section. We've seen how many times Paul is saying, oh, I really love your friendship. Oh, I'm rejoicing in you as friends. Oh, I, I really value you as friends. Paul is making it clear here that he considers the Philippians as friends in Christ. And that them being friends in Christ, having a mutual concern, and that word concern again indicates mutuality and also as language of friendship. He said, having these friends uh, like you is very important to me. It's absolutely essential to me. Uh, in, the, in the day, the Philippians would have been quite aware that Aristotle, for example, saw three levels of friendship. And you can actually see these three levels of friendship still working in the world today. The highest level of friendship was called good friends. The next level was pleasant friends. And the final level was useful friends. Good friends, pleasant friends and useful friends. 
Now, useful friends, I'd like to suggest probably in the world today, most of the friends that people have, they have because they're useful friends. In other words, I'm going to be friends with you because you can do something for me. Useful friendship often depends on the law of reciprocity. I'm going to give you something, and so you give me something. And this is such a powerful thing that many, uh, many salespeople will use this. And it's the reason why, if you go, for example, to Borough Market, many of the, the street food vendors, they have free samples. They're not giving you free samples simply because they think, oh, you'll think this is great and you'll buy it. They give you the free sample because they know in your psychology that if you get something from somebody, you feel like you should give them something. And it takes effort for us to take a free sample and then walk away without buying something. Unless you are heartless and totally self-centered and selfish, which many people are, and that's why they do that. But uh, you can usually tell those people because they're the ones who not only take one sample, they take ten, and then they walk away. But anyway, but there's that useful level of friendship. Uh, It's okay to have useful friends. We all need useful friends, but frankly, that is the lowest level of friendship, and it means that on some level you're using people. And we all know that using people is not something that is either healthy or pleasant. And if you're using people, eventually nobody wants to be your friend because they're always asking, okay, what are they trying to get from me? Those are useful friends. But sometimes useful friendships that start out as useful friendships can become something else. And the next level of friendship is what you call pleasant friends. Now, pleasant friends are those that you simply enjoy being with. We all have those people. There are some people you meet, and you immediately, you hit it off with them. And you think, wow, uh, I could have have a pizza with you, or or we could go on a trip together, or we'd have a really, really good time together. Uh, I enjoy spending time with you. Uh, There's nothing wrong with that. But the thing about pleasant friends is that you hang out with pleasant friends, again, a little bit because of what you get out of it. I'm deriving pleasure from this friendship, and so because I have pleasure from this friendship, I'm going to continue the friendship. And once the friendship no longer brings pleasure, many of us will stay with it for a little while, because we don't want to seem to be mean-minded and small-minded people, but once the pleasant friendship is, is no longer pleasant, we oftentimes, we drop away from it. We, we step out of it. But there's another level of friendship, and this is genuinely good friends. And the problem with Aristotle and the problem with the Greeks is they tended to idealize the concept of good friendship to the point that you could, it would almost be impossible to have a good friend. And in fact, even today in the world, we can idealize the idea of good friends and say, oh, you know, what is a good friend? And our temptation is, and you've got to watch out for this, your temptation will be to define your good friends by what they do for you. And you can see this. If you start to say, well, this person is a really good friend because I get so much pleasure from being with them. 
Maybe they're not a good friend. Maybe they're a pleasant friendship. Oh, this person is a really good friend because of everything they do for me. Again, that's a useful friendship. That's not a good friendship. And they really struggled with this idea of good friendship uh, in, the, in the Greco-Roman world. They struggled with this. The Philippians would have known about this. They would have been very, very familiar with all of these concepts uh, coming through in, in their day. Uh, they, really, they didn't know how people could be good friends, genuinely good friends. And of course, Paul did, and we as Christians do, and that is having friends in Christ Jesus. Because it's only genuinely in Christ Jesus, when I am in Christ Jesus, and you are in Christ Jesus, that we can get to a level of where we say, yeah, we have really good friends here. We are really good friends. Now, how do you know if somebody is a good friend? You're thinking about what you can do for them more than what they do for you. That's the issue of good friendship. As long as you're evaluating your friendship on the basis of the benefit you get, you can never believe that they're good friends. They might be, but you can never know it for sure. But when you know that you want to spend time with the person, you want to hang out with them, because you hanging out with them is a blessing in their life. Giving to them is a blessing to them. Not that you want anything from them. You want to give to them. And that was Paul's attitude. That's why he went to pains, took pains to say, hey, it's not, I'm not saying this because I have any need. I'm not saying this because you gave me money. I'm not saying this because there was a long dry spell where you didn't send me anything and we didn't have a lot of contact. I'm saying this because you are good friends. And one of the amazing things about really good friends is you can go for a long, long period of time and not see them, but step right back in that relationship. We have some very, very good friends in the United States. And uh, a couple of our friends we haven't seen, we'll, we'll probably see them in November. We haven't seen them since then. We don't have a lot of regular contact. It's not like we're on Facebooking or, or uh, FaceTiming or any, any of that facing thing. Uh, we're not even doing any of the calling thing, but we know that when we step back into their home, we step back into their lives, and it will be like we'd been there a week earlier. That's good friends. And we don't hang out with them because it's always easy, because it's not. Uh, They don't hang out with us because it's always easy, because it's not, but we know there's something really special and precious about our friendship. And that's good friendship. And so if we want to have contentment, a sense of sufficiency, we must have good friends in Christ. But a lot of times, this is the struggle. We say, well, how do we have good friends? And our expectation is that people will come to us. Our expectation is that people will take the initiative to strike up a friendship with us. Our expectation is that somebody will do something for us or say something to us or take the initiative. But the initiative of good friendship is ours. The initiative of good friendship is yours, not the other person's. 
Now, what if you take the initiative and the other person's not responsive? Well, that means that they'll probably not be a good friend. They might be a useful friend, a pleasant friend at some point, but they're not going to be a good friend. So go and knock on another door. And I guarantee you that if you are persistent with people who are in Christ Jesus, you will find a good friend. And many times, the good friend you find will completely surprise you, completely stun you. And you'll say, oh, I didn't ever think that this is the kind of person that I would have a good friendship with. But you end up having a good friendship, and it will last the years. I thank God that I have so many good friendships in this church. Not because of what people are doing for me but the ability to serve them and just our ability to be together. I know there's a commitment there. And that's what Paul's celebrating. So if you want to have contentment, if you want to have a sense of sufficiency, you must have good friends in Christ. And having good friends in Christ is your responsibility, not the responsibility of anyone else. Really important. But it begins in Christ. So that's the first thing. And then Paul says, okay, there's another thing that gives me contentment. There's another thing that is the basis of my sufficiency. He says, you know, I'm not telling you, I'm not praising your friendship because I'm in need. Because you know what? I have learned what it means to, to be brought low. I know what it means for people to reject me and cast me out and give me the 39 lashes on my back. I mean, that's pretty low. I know what it means to be, and I also know what it means to be exalted, for people to praise me and say, wow, you're great. He says, I know what it means to be in, plenty, uh, in, in want, having desperate, desperate need, and I also know what it means to have a lot, and I can be content. I, I, I've learned the secret, there's a secret, there's a mystery of being content, of having a sense of sufficiency in all circumstances. He's already alluded to one of those, and that's having good friends in Christ. But he says, the other thing, the other secret that I know is that I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. The most English translations translate that word through. That's, that's actually inaccurate. The Greek word is literally the word in, in. And this is the theme of Paul. Paul is talking about how we are in Christ and Christ is in us. This idea that we are united with Jesus Christ, that Jesus himself lives in us, that we have been linked with Christ in his death and his resurrection. I want to know Christ. I want to have the fellowship of his sufferings. I want to know everything about him. I want to be completely united to him, Paul says in chapter 3. I want all of this to to come to the power of the resurrection. And so Paul says here, I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. The other key to our contentment is being in Christ and allowing the power, and this word strengthen literally means pouring power into. That's the idea behind it. I want the power poured into me because I am in Christ Jesus. And I know that I'm in Christ Jesus and I know that I'm linked with Christ and I know that nothing can ever separate me from Jesus Christ. I know that I am in Christ and Christ is in me. And because I am confident in this, I can face whatever circumstance is around me. I will not base my contentment, Paul is saying here, on my circumstances. 
I will not look and say, I've got a nicer house or I've got a bigger bank account or a better job and say, now I can be content because I know that tomorrow I can have a smaller house, uh, not have a job uh, and have a smaller bank account. I'm not going to look at that for my contentment. I am going to focus on Jesus and the fact that Jesus Christ lives in me and because Jesus lives in me, I have strength to be content. I am sufficient, not because I have all that I need in myself, but I have all I need in Christ Jesus. And being in Christ is the source of Paul's sufficiency. Being in Christ is the source of his contentment, and the same is true for us. When you are not content, when you are feeling discontented, it should be an indicator to you that you've not fully connected with the reality that Christ is in you. That's effectively what Paul's saying. Now, Paul is not saying here, by the way, that we shouldn't strive to be better. Paul is not saying here that we, we shouldn't desire to have more. We shouldn't desire to do a better job. But Paul is saying here that those things will never bring you the contentment, the sense of sufficiency that you really desire. And a lot of people spend a lot of time, a lot of effort, and a lot of money getting this stuff only to discover the truth of that. And if you do have a momentary, temporary sense of sufficiency or contentment, let me tell you, it will go. Uh, if you, you get this new car and you feel really happy with that, there's a guy that uh, parks around our house, has a really nice black two-door BMW sports coupe. I mean, really nice looking car, you know, and I, I saw him out the other day really meticulously cleaning it and working on it and things like that. And, you know, real car proud kind of guy. And then we came back from our holiday and there was the car with a flat tire and, and you know, really messed up. And I could just kind of, I could see the guy, you know, just really suffering from that. Because you can have this contentment and you it, as soon as that's taken away or as soon as that changes, the contentment goes. The thing is that Jesus never goes. Jesus is in us and we are in him. And so whenever you feel discontent, uncontented, then you should ask yourself, have I lost touch with the fact that Christ is in me and I am in Christ and that I can face all circumstances through Christ who gives me strength? And you should also ask yourself, have I invested myself in good friendships enough as a source of my contentment? And the awesome thing is in all of that, that Jesus has brought us together. The Spirit of God lives inside of us. We have everything we need for life and godliness in Christ Jesus, Peter tells us. We are in Christ. And the friends, the good friends that we have in Christ These are friendships that literally will last for eternity. Father God, thank you so much. Thank you that in Christ Jesus, you have made a way for us to have contentment, sufficiency that does not depend on outward circumstances, that does not depend on things going right or going wrong but it's completely dependent upon the reality of Christ in us. And we thank you that Jesus is in us. 
And I pray, Father, I know that there are people in our fellowship who long to have deeper friendships, who long to have these good friendships in Christ Jesus. And I pray, Father, that you would start to connect us with one another in ways where we can have these friendships, where we can have these relationships, these good friendships, not only pleasant friendships, we want those, Lord, and even the useful friendships that we need, but good friendships that will last a lifetime. We long for that, Lord, and I pray that you'd show each of us how we need to invest ourselves in the lives of other people to have these kinds of friendships. You're such a good God. You're so amazing, and we love you, and we worship you, and we thank you for all that you've done for us and all that you continue to do in us through your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray all this in his name. Amen.